When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. We talk about bringing consideration, respect, and honesty into every part of your life on our show. And today we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff from stinky foods at the office and the people who leave notes about them to email ping pong during interviews, uh, the dilemmas that second homes can cause, and even we are going to cover new living situations in our Postscript segment today. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. I had some rules change this past week. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, but it was I, I really wanted to share it with our listeners because I felt like it was done so well, and it's something that could be really sensitive, and it turned out to just be so easy-peasy to handle, and it was because of how both my hosts behaved. So what was going on? Okay, so everybody knows that Benny is my right-hand man and he comes with me everywhere. That's my dog if you're listening for the first time and welcome. He comes with me everywhere and he, including the VPR studios. And the VPR has just redone their entire studios and it's now a very open office environment. And um, Robin Turno, the head of VPR, came out. She loves Benny. Everybody here loves Everyone Benny. Everyone loves Benny. And, you know, she gave him a scratch and she said, I, I've been meaning to talk to you because unfortunately we're changing our policy. And so for the foreseeable future, we're not going to allow dogs into the new studio areas. It's really open. I think it would be really hard. She explained that it would be really hard if visiting dogs came and people who work here every day don't get to bring their dog because it's open office. It's not a place where they can be contained a little bit more. So it was totally understandable. But the fact that like she expressed how much she liked Benny and she knows that everyone loves having him visit. It was just really nice to hear that. And it made me not feel so bad about having to, you know, now leave him at home or leave him at the office when we come here. And then the next day, (laughs) I know, so we did that last Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I took two days off and went to my buddy's house out in Charlotte. And I was so psyched to go out there. Benny gets to just kind of run and be free and happy dog and everything. And just like normal, Benny and I waltzed right into his house. And he greeted Benny, gave him a big hug. Hey, boy, how you doing? And then he goes, Lizzie, you're going to hate me. Oh, no. Yeah, it's coming. There, too. There, too. Benny is is no longer, he's having a no dog policy at all in his house because he's sick. He had dog hair in his coffee, and he doesn't have a dog. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, no point. But the fact that first he wasn't immediately like, oh, rules have changed, I have to tell you. He, like, greeted Benny as he normally would, and he he let us kind of settle into the house, and then he was like, so... I've just changed it. We're doing no dogs in the house. And it was great. Ben hung out outside. We stacked wood. We had a great weekend, like just hanging out in the country. Very Vermont. Yeah, but it was so nice to have people present new rules. It was like they weren't fearing a bad reaction. And do you ever know, like, people get sometimes so worried to approach someone about a change in Mm -hmm. something, a change in policy, a change in their friendship, just a change, that they work it up in their head to be this thing that almost has to be really intense. Mm -hmm. And it was so wonderful to have both of these hosts be so casual and light about it. It made me casual and light about it. It's so funny because you you said these hosts. Yeah. And we often talk about one of our tips for good hosting is that it's really important that you remain calm, that your mood sets the tone for an event. Totally. If you're preparing right up to the last minute and you're feeling all frantic, that you can communicate that feeling to your guests and they don't notice that you've cleaned an extra table or you... Totally. Whatever it was that you spent that time frantically doing. Yeah. um, It is so important. 
Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> I know. Poor Benny, though, man. He's going he's gonna to have an adjustment in his schedule. Well, and something that's potentially unpleasant doesn't need to be unpleasant. No, and it really wasn't. That was the nice part about it. Well, good luck adjusting to those new rules. <laughs> Thanks. Do you think we should get to some of our listener questions now? Let's do it. All right. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, we would love for you to email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can give us a call and leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Our first question is titled, say that again? Dear Lizzie and Dan, Greetings from India. I love our global community. I have a communication problem with my dad. He always asks me to repeat what I say as if I haven't spoken clearly or asked him in a loud enough voice, which I do. I try to even consciously enunciate my words. I do not think he has a hearing problem. I think this has turned into a habit. And it's not just with me, but everyone. It can be very annoying if you have to repeat everything you have to say every time. How can I approach him about this? I think he should just pay more attention to what people say. Thank you again, Ajay. Uh, Ajay, thank you for your question. I, I, I like how you acknowledge that there might be a, a real change that's happened with your father. Like potentially, this is a hearing problem. You don't think it is, but I like the way you're you're thinking about the the things that could possibly explain a change in behavior because right? that, that's important. That's like when we talk about the consideration part of our five steps, and we think about thinking of everyone involved and kind of what might be affecting them. That's exactly what we're talking about. I think that's a really wise and and smart place to start. Having said that, too, there's another word that you used in your question that I really want to key on. You talk about how you think it's turned into a habit. Because they're habits, they're by definition unconscious. They're things that we're doing without thinking about them, without having to think about them. So oftentimes we're not aware of our habits. We're not aware of the things that we're doing. And this might be something that he got in the habit of doing to be certain that he's understanding. And it's just started to spread and spread and spread to the point where he's doing it all the time with everybody and around information that's maybe not as important or maybe even when he's not even sure that he's doing it. Um, It's become a bad habit. Talking with people about a habitual action or use of language is a, a potentially tricky thing to do, although it's not impossible. and It's really important that we do it with each other because we're not always going to know our own habits. So this is what I'm going to suggest, that you do talk to your father, that there are a couple of things you can do to make that discussion go easier. If you think about our intro to today's show, your mood is really going to set the tone for this conversation. So if you can approach it not from a place of annoyance or anger, but from a place of consideration and and really wanting to be helpful. Sincerity. Tell your dad you love him, (laughs) that there's something you (laughs) want to talk with him about, that if the shoe were on the other foot, you'd hope that he would talk to you about something like this, that there's something you've noticed that he may or may not be aware of and you might even ask him if he's noticed it or if it's something that he's thought about it might be something that's intentional it might not be so it's important not to make any assumptions there you can always when you bring up a potential problem you want to offer to be part of the solution Mm -hmm. so if it is a habitual action if it's something that he hasn't even noticed or wasn't aware might be bothersome to people you could offer to help him discover this habit by pointing it out. Noticing it, yeah. I'm thinking about the the classic, the teenager that's saying like all the time or using an unconscious spacer or filler in their speech and they aren't even aware that they're doing it and it takes a consistent and persistent parent, friend, guardian, teacher to continue to point it out each time that it happens because that person's really not aware that it's happening. And that's a particular speech pattern that a lot of people want to address. So if you suggest that and he's open to it, there's one solution that you have to at least show him that this is happening a lot. Exactly. It it might be enough just to bring his attention to it. It's also, I really like that solution, Dan, just because it goes with Ajay's natural instinct, which is that it's not a hearing problem. And it, you know, it's one thing if your parent really isn't hearing you and you can notice, you know, it's like you do the like snap your finger test and they don't turn, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like, I feel like that's a good way to approach this without first just thinking there's a medical problem. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it's also worth checking with some other people to see if they've noticed this also, if he does this with everyone, if it's just with you. You also don't want to dive into the solutions immediately. You want to give your father a chance to process and internalize what you've talked to him about, that sometimes hearing about something like this can be a little shocking if we're confronted with something that's been habitual that we're not aware of. And I'm thinking about other actions, people that click a pen in a meeting all the time. Mm -hmm. They probably want to know about that, but it might take them a minute to really hear you and, to, absorb. and to, to absorb that information in a way where they're going to want to to address that habit or think about it. The one other perspective that I'd like to share is the possibility that this might be something your father's aware of and that doesn't matter to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's the difficult one. That he's really more comfortable with bothering a few people as long as he's sure that he gets good information, is clearly understanding everything that people are saying to him. I think it's always good to be prepared with some when you I feel language <laughs> so that you can take ownership. You can talk to your father, say that this is something that that happens with you and that you would really appreciate it if he'd work on not doing this with you. That would make it easier for you to communicate well with him and to, and to feel heard, to enjoy spending time together, all of that to enjoy his company. Yeah. And that should start to provide him with enough reason to think about it, at least in, in how it re relates to you. Ajay, we hope that that gives you a starting platform to go from, and hopefully you will find yourself repeating yourself a little bit less. <laughs> awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question has to do with second home dilemmas. Greetings, Lizzie and Dan. My wife and I were fortunate to be able to buy a second home in a very desirable location where hotel and rental lodging can be very expensive. Right now, we spend only a few months of the year there and hope to be there more in the future. Lately, some people, ranging from relatives to friends we haven't seen in some time, have asked us if they could use our house while we're not there. As it is fairly new to us and expensive to deal with if something goes wrong when we're not there, we're not comfortable saying yes now, though we may years down the line. However, we feel bad saying no and also think it's odd people would ask this when we've never offered it. Can you help us with a courteous response to this unsolicited request? Thank you. Regards. I, I get that. It's like my mom used to always do this thing where like when she would buy a new pair, she, she would buy something new for herself and maybe she hadn't worn it yet. And if my sister, I wanted to borrow it, we would ask, she would simply say, you know, I'm not ready to loan it out yet. 
And I want to apply the same type of language to this. I would say, I'm sorry, the house isn't available right now. You don't have to say why it's not available. Um, a lot of people use their second homes for rental services. I don't suggest that you try to lie about the house being rented out or something like that. But I do think if you just say, I'm sorry, it's not available right now, it lends you the opportunity to then make it available for whomever you would like to make it available to and not for whomever you'd like to make it available, not available to. I love the language of availability. Availability. It's lovely. I'm sorry I'm not available. I do think that you can even go so far as to say, you know, for the time being, we're not opening the house up to guests when we can't be there. And I think that that would be perfectly appropriate as well. If they press further, you can just explain that the coordination, the expense, if things go wrong, you just aren't willing to take the time and effort at the moment to have to have guests when you're not around. And that's perfectly okay. I'm a little surprised that people are just calling you up and asking. I mean, I know I'm, I know among close friends, very close friends and very close family members, because let's just remember, not all family is close. Well said. Okay. I think that it's pretty gosh darn um, brazen. No, maybe really not brazen. Is. No, it's brazen. Really? You would say brazen? I okay. think that's not a, an right. appropriate use to, of the term. Thank you. To actually say, hey, can we go stay down at your, your cottage or your house or your, you know, your condo, whatever it is that you have. I think it's it's pretty rude that they're doing it. So don't fight rudeness with rudeness, but also don't feel that you have to accommodate these requests. It's absolutely okay to just say the house isn't available or you guys aren't ready to have guests there when you're not around. I just say agreed exclamation point. Sweet. (laughs) We hope that that helps you manage your new property and we hope that you are really excited and enjoy this wonderful getaway place that you have. I love our next question because not only is it a common problem, but our uh, producer Hans took a stab at writing the title of it, and this is what we got. Olfactory offenses are undoubtedly affecting our amiable office ambiance. Ooh la la. Did I say it right? Did I get all those words correctly? I think you did. Now say it three times fast. Olfactory offenses are undoubtedly affecting our amiable office ambiance. All right, you could do it three times. I get you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this question comes from Mary in Los Angeles, and she left us a message on our answering machine. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Mary. My question is, today I came into work and there was a sign by their microwave that said, please do not heat broccoli or fish. It stinks. Which led me to wonder, is it rude to heat up stinky foods? Uh, Our kitchen is very large at work, and only people who work in close proximity to it can close and off the store. But still, I want to be courteous to my coworkers, but I also want to be able to eat the foods that I bring into lunch. Um, Would love your advice. Uh, Mary, thank you for your question. This is a real problem. In fact, Lizzie Hans and I were just talking about this. <laughs> it's it's an issue. It is an issue. So our listeners might not know that while you guys are in Vermont Public Radio, I'm actually in Minnesota at right. Minnesota Public Radio. And we are a large organization, several hundred people. And we have these crazy knockdown, drag out fights that happen over the shared spaces like kitchens where people really go toe to toe arguing about who has authority to make decisions about those spaces. So this is like this is a real deal that people get very upset and I'm sure people have gone to HR over. So this is it may seem kind of trivial, but people take this stuff really seriously. Well, and at the Emily Post Institute, there is a sign that sits over our sink that has a picture of Peter Post with a little voice bubble <laughs> I that, <did> that. <laughs> says, don't mess with the sink. <laughs> and it's it's all about um, maintaining a higher standard at your workplace than you would <laughs> in your own home. And, and, and who has the authority to set those standards and establish them? And it's definitely a... a a question that's common to many offices. The the shared spaces are oftentimes potential problem areas, and that's kitchens and bathrooms. So let's start with a couple of big picture etiquette concepts that can be really useful. One is that, yes, stinky foods are rude. In the same way that you think about what kinds of foods you bring onto an airplane, you think about what kinds of foods you bring into an office. In the same way that you don't wear excessive perfumes or colognes in most professional environments, um, you think about the, the way what you're doing, and that includes smells, affects other people. Um, 
the question about which foods are stinky and which foods are so stinky that they would be a problem for someone else is a question. When I'm talking about examples for things to bring on airplanes, I talk about bananas, tuna fish sandwich, even like... Bananas? Wait, bananas are stinky? Some people really don't... Exactly. Some people really don't like the, the smell of no, bananas. No, like, really? Bananas are stinky? It's, it smells so strongly that what? it's... Uh, there you go. Right here at the table, one person's stinky no. food is absolutely fine to someone else. I don't buy it. Really? People have an issue with bananas? Mm-hmm. So I have a story about bananas. Let's hear it. My wife does not like fruits, most fruits, pineapples yeah. and bananas being the ones she likes the least. And even for her, we can't even have bananas in the house because when I open a banana and she smells it, it's immediately a memory response, an olfactory response that triggers memories of what it's like to eat bananas. And she hates the texture of it's them. The mushy. And it all yeah. brings it back and it's just gross for her. So, yeah, I mean, it does happen. Wow. Thank you. That is a perfect example of exactly what this question is about. That Um, what is stinky to one person is uh, unbelievably inoffensive to someone else. else. So it's important to to really challenge ourselves when we're in these shared spaces to really think about other people's standards and to hold ourselves really accountable. I think that this also applies to the person that left the note, because I think that leaving a note that calls someone else's lunch stinky is also rude. It wouldn't necessarily occur to me that heating up broccoli in a microwave would really bother someone else. At the same time, I would be really willing to adjust my behavior if someone told me that heating up broccoli in a microwave was really bothering them. But it's how they tell you that makes but a difference. But it's how they tell you that makes a difference. And there's a, an old expression, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, <laughs> that you're more likely to get the results that you want if you approach people in a way that's polite, considerate, kind, respectful, than if you're rude or disagreeable or bothersome. And the person who left the note probably didn't even think that leaving that note was rude, but it's passive, and that's what's hard. And when you see that writing you're going to internalize it as more negative than neutral. Exactly. And and particularly when you're using language like stinky, my interpretation <laughs> of that's really going to go to the negative. Yeah. So a different way that you might approach something like this would be to raise it at a, a staff meeting or an office meeting to talk about how you have an office that's near the kitchen, that it might not be something that impacts everyone, but it's something you want to make people aware of. If I was the person who was heating up the food, like our questioner here, and I saw that note, I would try not to let the rudeness of the note uh, impact or affect me too much. I would try to ask around. I'd try to find the person who had left it so I could talk it out with them. I also think it's important to mention here that oftentimes Lizzie and I um, give advice that's about good communication, about talking to people, and that sometimes that... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You can't reach an accord. That Sometimes different people have really different ideas about Stinky. The person who you're talking to has a much harder line than you have and you really don't think it's fair. You'd like to not be in a situation where you just have to agree with the other person. I think it's also important to know your authority and know your recourse, that particularly in a professional environment, there's usually someone with the authority to settle a situation. And you don't want to go to that person first, but you also want to have confidence that there is a place that you can go. There is um, a next step that you can take if you do need to, to consult an authority, if you do need someone else to help set up a really clear definition of what foods are, are going to be okay in the kitchen or what uses of the kitchen, how long it's okay to leave a dish in the sink, if it's ever okay to yeah. leave a dish in the sink. See, I think that's the key of this question, is more than just a sign that says broccoli and fish, because it's like, well, sushi, you don't heat up. Maybe it's not so stinky. Now that a sign has been brought up, it's time to go to HR, to go to management, whoever would be the responsible party, yeah. and get clear, defined, you know, definitions, clear defined definitions (laughs) about what what is and is not okay in the kitchen. I think that's really smart. And I'll leave us with a parting thought, which is that with these common spaces, with these shared spaces, I think we all need to be prepared to defer to a common standard, which might be different than our own. That's one of the definitions of a common standard. There are going to be compromises. There are going to be accommodations. And it's also important to keep that in mind whenever we enter any of these kinds of discussions. Especially when it changes. You were able to have fish and broccoli before. Now you can't. 
then he was able to go places. Now he can't. Yep. And how you handle that, roll how you introduce, it. roll with it, be ready to roll yeah. with it, and also be ready to introduce it with ease and grace and poise. Exactly. Mary, we hope this helps. Good luck dealing with one of the trickiest uh, areas of office etiquette. I like our next question because I think I actually do this a lot, but it's titled, Respond with, Really? And I will affirm, you do talk just like that. (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My friend has had multiple brain surgeries to remove multiple brain tumors. Thankfully, she is alive and well, which was not a certainty at one time, but has been left with some significant facial abnormalities as a result of all of her treatments. Every time we get together, she has a new and often horrifying story of the rude things people say to her. She asked a grocery store checkout clerk, how's your day going? To which the clerk responded, clearly it's going better than yours. She will also report that people stare or point. My friend has the best attitude of anyone I've ever met. Despite continuous medical challenges, she remains positive and gets up each morning ready to face whatever the day brings. She recognizes that her looks inspire curiosity in others and will always answer polite inquiry about her condition. Knowing that Lizzie is the queen of the scripted reply, could we please have some guidance as to how to deal with the rude comments and stares? She can ignore them to a point, but there comes a time when the behavior can no longer be ignored and needs to be addressed. Thank you, Caroline. Caroline, my heart goes out to your friend. It sounds like she is immensely tolerant and understanding of what she faces on a daily basis. I want to empower her that there are just some times where I think a reality check to people. I think sometimes people just don't realize that what they've just said is blatantly offensively rude. As you all know, like Dan and I don't condone rudeness in the face of rudeness, but I also think every now and again, just a check is a little bit okay. And so I would love if someone like that clerk, you could just simply say, you know, I know my face looks different, but really that comment hurts a bit. And just call them out on it. I'm going to totally say I think it's okay in this circumstance. Like sometimes, especially when people are encountering something that is different in their day, oftentimes we hear from people telling us that that in that moment, the person's etiquette went out the window. And, you know, they got awkward. They didn't know what to do. So they did something strange or or they said something that normally they wouldn't even consider saying. But it was like just you know, first thing that came to mind and they said it, the filter was gone. Again, I don't love saying confront a stranger, but at the same time, in this circumstance, I think it would be appropriate to say, I'm sorry, why would you think my day is going badly just because my face looks like this? Yeah. I wake up like this every day. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's okay to point it out. I'm going to, I'm going to just say that. I think it's okay to point it out. The idea of the proportional response is yeah. coming to mind as I hear you wrestle okay. with this. You're going to defend me a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> well, I am. The, the, the idea that figuring out how to bring someone's attention to something that's potentially rude, mm-hmm. or in this case, really offensive is, is a question. And I think for slight offenses, sometimes that little look or that glance can be enough to bring someone's attention to like, something. really? And, and we often <laughs> say you don't want to be that person who yeah. goes around, you you know, mean mugging or giving people the evil eye all the time. Yeah. At the same time, in the appropriate dosage, just that little sideways glance, that little I can't believe you just did that can be enough to bring someone's attention to something they might not otherwise have noticed or been thinking about. And, you know, I'm say- I'm thinking about it now, too, that, you know, if she doesn't want to call someone out like I would, I would instead just try answering very straight face. You know, I'm having a wonderful day. Thank you. Not sure why you assumed I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, and just bringing that level of reality back to it of like, my face is not what makes my day good or bad. Yeah. You know, and even saying that, like, could be something that she she could say instead. The type of offense that this question presents is one that's starting to, to escalate into that territory that's beyond just rudeness. It's something that's really insulting or really... Um, Unnecessary. Exactly. And it's such an egregious offense that I think it starts to be something that that a decent self-respect for yourself requires that you address. Yeah. And I think that that's another line to have in mind to think about when you're trying to decide how much to escalate a response to behavior that's rude. Caroline, I would close this out by saying I think your friend clearly has an amazing ability to tolerate these things. And I think she should continue to tolerate them as much as she feels comfortable doing. And every now and again, 
when she feels it's necessary, it's okay to make a comment like the ones that we've suggested back, whether it's a direct call out or whether it's just simply saying, I'm not sure why you would think I'm having a bad day or, you know, I'd appreciate it if you please don't point and stare at me. Something like that that's just said with ease and confidence. And I think she'll do just fine. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Our next question is a new age classic. Email thank you ping pong. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was laid off in January with excellent references, I'd like to point out. I'm excited to have made it through two rounds of interviews for a new position. The role involves customer service for a web-based company, and therefore lots of email etiquette will come into play. Obviously, I'd like to demonstrate my email skills during any interaction with the folks at this company. The first interviewer set up the second interview with a different interviewer. As the second interview closed, the interviewer offered the general email address for the company, info at company.com. In case I had any questions for her, I sent a thank you to that address. She replied to my thank you email thanking me for the note. I was not expecting a reply. My first inclination was not to respond. I felt that would be awkward and turn into email ping pong. But a few days later, I'm wondering if I should have replied with a short acknowledgement of her response. What do you think? I think it's too late now to send a response without it being awkward. Any help you could give would be great. Thank you. I feel more polite already, Shannon. Oh, Shannon, thank you for your question. And that sounds a little complicated. Let me see if I've got this right. So you're going through an interview process. You completed your second interview and you sent an email thank you to the person who conducted that interview with you. And they then replied to your thank you. With another little note. That's what I'm reading this to be. And then you're wondering whether you should reply to their reply to your thank you. And your initial instinct was that you weren't going to do it because you didn't want this to turn into an email ping pong game. And I want you to trust your instincts. (laughs) And it has to end somewhere. And you're also right in stating that you didn't expect a reply to your thank you note. The point of etiquette here that's really at the heart of your question is that you don't need to reply to a thank you note with a thank you note or even an acknowledgement of a thank you note. It's also true, and I think this is worth noting, that oftentimes people feel inspired to reply to thank you notes. I think it speaks to their power, the impact that they have on people. I want to give you kudos. I want to give you two (laughs) thumbs up, two big virtual audio thumbs up for sending thank you notes to people who've taken the time to interview you. I think it's a a really important way to build relationships, particularly as part of that job search. And clearly for writing one that got a response. And clearly this one had an impact, made, made a note. And it definitely has to end somewhere, even with your desire to, to show really good email communication as you're applying for an email customer service job. You're okay letting this exchange drop. Shannon, it sounds like you're approaching this interview process as a series of opportunities and you're seizing all of them. I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Last week, we asked a question of all of you. We're wondering about coffee containers and particularly to-go coffee containers. We all have heard that this coffee is to-go, but what exactly does that mean? Can you take it with you everywhere? You had some really varied responses, and and I'll confess that I was really curious what the response from our (laughs) audience would be because I have wrestled with this question myself. I am a a regular coffee drinker and oftentimes find myself with a cup of coffee in my hand. Yeah, you're a go-cup coffee drinker for sure. I am, and and I go back and forth between having my own environmentally conscious and safe mug that I take with me and get refilled, and then I lose them, and then I get to-go ones, and... (laughs) I have my own personal set of standards that I apply, but approaching it as an etiquette question was really interesting to me. So we posed this question to the audience, and you have been really good about giving us some helpful feedback. And our producer, Hans, has been evaluating that feedback, and he's here to share it with us. But we want to be sure to encourage you to keep weighing in on this particular question because we're going to revisit it in a couple weeks. Hans, what do you think? I'm curious. Hans, what do you do? Do you have a special mug? I have a special mug. I have a special mug that my mother-in-law gave me, which is really awesome, and I use it every day. But sometimes I do go out and I get to-go cups, and it sounds like a lot of our listeners do too because we got some really interesting responses, and the the responses are really varied. But I want to start everything. There's one story from Karen from the great town of Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, which I just— 
Say it with me now. Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's amazing, right? It's just outside of Milwaukee. It's a great little town. Karen emailed us and said that she had an experience hosting last Thanksgiving when her young adult nephew brought a styrofoam cup to her house. So she greeted him and said, oh, can I take your cup and get you something to drink? And he refused, just flat out refused to let it go. (gasps) What a bad guest. Right? Karen said that he carried around all night with him, which was just infuriating to her. And she started to wonder, like, what else might be in there besides soda? I was just thinking, I was like, yeah, why is he holding on to it? What's in there, huh? Yeah. Exactly. So it can make a host really uncomfortable. So so Karen had that great story that confirmed it. She also went on to comment that she sees people drinking from Starbucks cups when they're sitting at non-Starbucks establishments. So like brunch or breakfast somewhere. What she says is that when a place has been set for you, you shouldn't bring your own dishes. If you're stopping in someone's home or office, I think that's different. But if you go to a restaurant or coffee shop, you should patronize that business. Okay, Hans, I I have to jump in here because I absolutely love this. It's a really useful piece of etiquette advice, and I'm going to borrow it. Absolutely. The idea that when a place has been set for you, you shouldn't bring your own dishes has a, a, a poetic ring to my etiquette ears. And I have often held myself to the standard of you don't bring a to-go cup with you into a different restaurant or a different establishment? A lot of times they'll actually take it away or let you know, hey, just while you're here, please don't be drinking out of that. I've had that said to me. And even if they don't say it, I assume they're thinking it. And they're just not saying it because they're being polite. But it's so rude. (laughs) No question. The question of whether or not it's okay to carry that same cup into someone else's home, I think is oftentimes trickier to navigate. And I like this idea of if the place is set for you, don't bring your own dishes. That if you're attending a dinner party or something like that, you should be more aware of whether you're bringing a cup to the table. Yeah, no, I'm going to just, I'm I'm not countering it. I actually think that's good advice. I think it's kind of a good litmus test of, hey, if I've been invited over for dinner, I shouldn't be showing up with a coffee mug. That being said... Out of practicality, I mean, so let's say you're coming to my house, and I know you're a caffeine junkie, and I've got you showing up, and it kind of might be nice to not have to think about making you a cup of coffee at 5.30 in the evening, and you've, you've just walked in with yours, but I might offer you a mug instead from my house to drink it out of, so you're not drinking out of a to-go cup in my house. I'm not sure why that feels more appropriate. I need to think about that a little bit more, but at least then you're kind of like, you're using my stuff, and even though it's your coffee that you brought, like, you know, I might try to treat it as an opportunity to host your exteriorly bought coffee. Yeah, no. (laughs) That's not a real phrase. So... Karen had a very specific idea of where you were or not. Well, that seemed to be a tenor of how a lot of people did, that there was places that were okay and there were places that were not okay, which ultimately is the question that we ask. So on Facebook, we had Socially Southern chimed in and said, never in a church sanctuary. Okay. Bravo. Seems fair. Makes sense. But then we had a disagreement. On Twitter, at I2Observe said that you should never bring coffee cups to friends' houses, which is totally contrary to what you just said. Also, they said, not into major or minor art galleries or museums. I agree with that second part. At Mel C. Watt disagreed, however, uh, and said that yes to a friend's house if I still had coffee in it that I hadn't finished. So this disagreement, but I think it's also just about thinking about how formal or informal the event or the experience that the visit is going to be. Yeah, see, that's where I get it. Because if I come over to you and Pooja's house on a Sunday afternoon for a hike... I'm going to feel pretty confident about carrying my to-go cup in. As you should. Thank you. I'll give you my example, because this was one I dealt with. I was traveling with Pooj. We were visiting her family over the holidays. So I was visiting multiple homes of in-laws, and I was careful not to always have my to-go coffee cup in tow when I was showing up at the houses of people I didn't know so well who had taken time to think about how they were going to be hosting Hosting large family gatherings. Here's one for you. I would not bring a to-go cup into an interview. I like that one also. Mm-hmm. I think it's wise. We, we talked earlier in the show about the habitual action. And I think it's so important to keep in mind for, for those of us that do drink coffee all the time, who oftentimes have a cup of coffee with us, that our habitual action isn't necessarily common for everybody that we're interacting with. And that it's important to think about how you're playing the role of guest. And that includes whether or not you're showing up with a drink already in your hand. I like this comment. As long as you have a lid, sure. Sure. <laughs> 
That was from Andrea over on Facebook. And I liked I liked that general tolerance, but just be sure that you're not about to spill it somewhere. You also mentioned something. You, you talked I, about uh, a host taking advantage of the opportunity to yeah. be a good host. To Instead of being annoyed that someone shows up with a coffee cup, being sure they've got a coaster so they've got a place to <laughs> set it down if they're sitting but in your den. A or real mug, or too, you know? Maybe even offering them uh, to, to help put it into a mug or something that'll keep it warm. Yeah, well, and it also won't be that... You know, a, a to-go cup, a go cup really does look foreign in a home because often it's just you're out of the home when you're getting it. So I think putting it in that place where it's kind of in a mug from your house, I think might sort of ease Karen's feeling of, oh, he's carrying around this styrofoam mug all night, right? Exactly. We so appreciated hearing your comments, and I definitely learned something new and um, can't thank you enough. Please keep your comments coming, and we'll update in a couple of weeks. Do you want to go get some coffee? Yes. It's only common courtesy, Chuck. Thank you so much for all of your questions. Please send us updates and comments. We love them and we love being able to put them on the show and really get the conversation going. Feel free to leave us a message at 802-866-0860 or you can write to us at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you want to ask a question on Twitter, just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. It's time for our postscript segment where we take time to explore a specific piece of etiquette. And today we are going to be talking about moving in with a significant other. We had a listener write to us with the following request. Dear Dan and Lizzie, my boyfriend and I are about to move in together. We've been together for a few years and we both are very excited for this big step. However, it's both of our first times living with a significant other. And for me, it will be the first time having a roommate in a few years. Do you have any tips or ideas for how to make this a successful cohabitation? Any ideas for how to be respectful about both of us getting alone time, but also to make sure that we don't lose that dating spark where time together is special? Thanks so much. New roomie. It's a big step. And it's a huge step, new roommate. I learned my favorite piece of advice for getting along with roommates from my cousin Lizzie. (laughs) What's that? Who wrote her first book for newly independents, for young adults who were living alone for the first time. And in it, she talked about three C's that were important for uh, living well with someone. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, cousin Lizzie, those three C's were communication, compromise, and commitment. That they were. Bam! In that order specifically. Because if you... Commit, compromise, and communicate. It might not work the same. <laughs> exactly. And, and I, I find them easy to remember in their order because there's a nice logic to how you apply them that totally. I would love to take my shot at sharing with our, our dear audience. So the first clue is the, the communication clue, that you really have to commit to being a good communicator to live well with others, that it's important that you speak up. You speak up about the things that are important to you, the things you like, as well as the things that you don't like. Follow up to being a good communicator is that you have to be prepared to compromise, that part of the deal with living with other people is that your lives are going to overlap in ways that are going to require you to make adjustments for each other and on behalf of each other. And then you've got to be prepared to commit to return to that communication if things become difficult or stressful or just to keep things happening and moving smoothly. You just you go at the commitment is you go after the solution. You you know, if it's that, okay, we're going to use a job chart to deal with chores, then use the job chart when you've reached that compromise that you commit to it and that you stick with it, that you follow through. You try it out now. It might not work. So you might have to go back to step one and that's totally okay. But you need to give things that old college try a fair shot. You know what I mean? I love having those as a, as a foundation for the idea of living together. But, you know, I've been living for the most part alone for the past five years. And I remember what it was like to live with a significant other. And even just living with roommates now, as I have a roommate currently, um, I think that it's really important to recognize that after living alone for a few years, you're probably bound to have some specific ways that you manage your home life. And this is a really good time to kind of look at how you operate. Take that larger view, step back a bit and look at your life and think about, okay, these are the things that really work for me and are successful for me when it comes to managing my home. 
And these are the things that I could totally adjust on. Like, it doesn't matter how the dishwasher's loaded. It matters that it gets loaded or that the dishes are done each night. Or, you know, I find that the way I keep my anxiety down is to pay those bills one, two, three, as soon as they come in. These are the types of things that you need to figure out where you stand on them so that you can communicate to your significant other that this is really important, but this I can totally handle adjusting and working on and figuring out. So I'm hearing you say before you even get to that communication step, be prepared to do a self-assessment. Do a self-assessment. Think about yourself. Think about what what works for you, what doesn't, what serves you well, what doesn't. I think that that's really important. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it corresponds with the other sort of piece of advice that I really wanted to drive to for this postscript, which is that it's when you're navigating particularly a living situation with someone who you're in a very close relationship with, that it's also important to know your role. And to identify whether or not the the particular interaction or experience that you're having is one that's housemate, roommate role, or whether it's one that's from that other relationship that you're sharing. So that if you're making special time for each other, you keep that special time, that your date night isn't the time to talk about bills. Right. But that when you're talking about bills, you're not going to try to leverage an emotional relationship in a way that, that isn't appropriate when you're talking about bills, when you're really just... Uh, just trying to figure out some logistics. Just trying to figure out some logistics. So the other the other pieces of advice that I would have for a new roomie would be to really think about the fact that, you know, you might be living together and because you have a relationship, you might want to spend a lot of time together, but not everything has to be done together. Giving time and space is really important in a healthy, both roommate situation and relationship. So because you have both going on, you're really going to have to work on that. Make sure that there is physical space for each other to use. I don't know how big or small your house or apartment or condo is, but try to carve out areas for each other. I know for me, I have a whole house and that could be something where it's like, I really have to work at clearing out areas of that house whenever I have a new roommate to make sure that they have ample room to move into. And I think that that's really important as you start setting up your space. I also think that time is really important to give to each other. You know, it's it's sure coming home together at the end of the night is wonderful, but every single night for the next forever is going to be a really long time. So you need to carve out time and and to not be worried about that night where he or she is going to be off doing their own thing. That that's actually really good breathing room and it gives you a chance to just relax in your home or go make time for yourself. The other thing is to not just think about ways to get out of the apartment, but ways to bring your, your lives into it. I own my house, but I have roommates that live with me. I encourage them to invite their friends over so that it doesn't feel like a place you can't bring people. Your house should be a place where friends are welcome. My last and final tip is just that I find that when people start to get upset about household things, the dishes or the you forgot the dog food or the whatever it is, that they take a minute and just remind yourself what it would be like if you were on your own and dealing with this. Because... You've lived alone for a while. You know what it's like to shovel the walkway, to take out the trash, to clean the garbage disposal, to do all these things. And yeah, it is really nice when you have a significant other or roommate come in and and they can help out with that. But anytime you start feeling yourself getting really frustrated, go back to the, the idea that you are a capable person who can take care of these things and that the other person doing it shouldn't hinge on your happiness. New Rumi, I truly hope that that advice helps. We hope that you have a really great new living situation. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother and Dad and other people who have good manners. Now for Lizzie's and my favorite part of the show, the etiquette salute. We think it's so important to celebrate all the good etiquette in the world. And today we hear from a loyal listener in St. Louis. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute about good management. I haven't been working very long. Um, I just rejoined the workforce after an absence to raise a family. I have a large family, and um, I have a new job in retail. I've only been there about 18 months, and I really like it. But um, in December, my son, my college-age son, had a sort of episode um, that was really scary, and it required me to go to him across the country and sit by his bedside. And so I had to leave my job at the spur of the moment and uh, with no real timetable for when I was coming back. And um, our whole family was really in crisis. 
And this all happened, of course, during the lead-up to the super important for the retail industry holiday season. So I wanted to give a shout-out to my two managers who just immediately responded with such sensitivity. They said, no, go, deal, we will be fine. I had to leave on the spur of the moment. I left them without a teacher for this workshop that I was very specialized in terms of my preparation for, and I was very much looking forward to teaching it. And um, they just immediately understood the severity and the sensitivity of the problem, and it was so nice not to have to worry about any of that. And in the end, I was our life returned to the new normal, and I was welcomed back at a pace that was just wonderful for me and my family. And I, I just can't say how much I appreciate how they responded with such sensitivity. I never had the feeling that I had let them down. I never had the feeling that they had discussed it with my colleagues or other employees. Um, and they never asked for further details, just polite and sincere general inquiries as to my family's well-being. It was just wonderful, and I, I just wish that um, anyone who was in my position would have a manager and two managers like they were. That is just so refreshing to hear. It's one of those things where when you already have something that you are clearly worried about and experiencing emotions and and you're fraught over this issue, to not worry about work, to have someone take the minute to say, whoa, we need to just make this as easy on you as possible is just so great. I'm, I'm so grateful that you have managers like that in your life. And I hope that more people can act like that when friends or family or coworkers that they know are in crisis, that they just go to a place of support. Absolutely. We so often hear about horrible bosses. It's really great to hear about an exemplary manager. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something, a question, a comment, a little piece of feedback. It's what we live on. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show was produced by Hans Buto. Hans Buto.